So this week we have to not make jokes about African accents and the topic of this week's conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre. Not even if I do my best Kevin Klein South African impersonation. No, and don't even think about doing Morgan Freeman. Tim Curry from Loaded Weapon 1. Marginal, but still no. Okay, so I can say Blick as long as I don't say Blick. No, no, it's the other way around. So Blick, not Blick. Uh, maybe it's the other way around after all. Blick? Perfect. Blick? No, 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 no. Blick. Blick? Blick. Blick, what, what, what is a Blick, anyway? That's a very racist thing to say. No, no, I mean, what's a blick? Oh, it's an unfalsifiable but meaningful worldview to some individual or set of individuals. Is that not just religious belief? As you're about to find out, maybe yes, and maybe no. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentis. And welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy here in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Addison, and sitting right next to me, so close, we're essentially the same person. It's Dr. M. R. Extentis. The lights are blinding my eyes, Joshua. The lights are blinding my eyes. Well, That's keep that not to a yourself. Metaphor. It's not actually, actually a metaphor, and he's not, 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 not singing a weekend song either. Uh, we, we, we're doing Apparently, okay. he's not a good person. Oh, no one's a good person. Last week, we said we were going to try doing a video record, and we tried. You can't, oh, we you can't deny it. You can't we deny very, that we tried. We did not actually come up with a, a video version of the episode. Well, I mean, no, no, the, we, we, sorry, we, did, we didn't we come up with a video. good video episode. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> that assumes that our old video episodes were good, or at least so much better than what we recorded last week. And I think I the think marginal utility uh, is only marginal. Okay, well, anyway, we're trying it again. This week, I, I don't know about you, I'm making no promises as to whether there will be a proper video episode for you to watch, but there might be. We might get it right this time. We might get it less wrong this time. We might. We might. We might. So we'll, we'll see. Watch, watch this space. Of course, you can't because you're probably listening to it because it's not the video. But anyway, we have a Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre episode. I'm not 100% convinced this isn't some sort of prank that you've played on me, this, this particular paper. It seemed a little bit... A little bit, little bit odd, a little bit outre. Yeah, so, I, little bit... So, so we're looking at conspiracy theories in religion, reframing conspiracy theories as blicks. And this came out in episteme or episteme, depending We'd, who you talk to, not sure. back in 2019. And I only actually found out about it in about 2021, <clears throat> when a member of the reading group I run, Will, mentioned, oh, you know, you're cited in this paper. Have you read it? You sure are. And I was going, I have somehow missed it. Mm. And then I read it and went, hmm, that's definitely a paper. It's definitely a paper published in an academic mm -hmm. journal of some repute. Yep. And I take exception to the characterization of some of the particulars in this paper, although not necessarily the characterization of my view, except maybe I do. Okay, well... I think perhaps then we'd better play one of those wacky little chimes to make everything official and proper-like, and then start talking about the paper properly. I think I'd play a sensible chime. Please do. A sensible chime for a sensible podcast. Welcome to Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre. A sensible chime for a sensible time would have rhymed, and also would have rhymed with rhyme. I'm just saying. Blime? I have notes. I have notes. That's all. Grimes. <clears throat> Grimes. Right. So we are talking about, as you say, the paper called Conspiracy Theories and Religion, colon, reframing conspiracy theories as blicks. I wish you wouldn't pronounce it that way. It's the only way I know. And this is by Glenn Y. Beziel. Bezalel. I'm not quite sure. No. I apologize to the good doctor, professor. I also don't actually know their their specific title, but whatever they are. Yeah, pu pu publishers were saying Episteme back in 2019, mm. and it's my turn to read the abstract. It certainly is. Go. Go now. Conspiracy theories have largely been framed by the Academy as a stigmatised form of knowledge, yet recent scholarship has included calls to take conspiracy theories more seriously as an area of study with a desire to judge them on their own merits rather than an a priori dismissal of them as a class of explanation. 
This paper argues that the debates within the philosophy of religion, long overlooked by scholars of conspiracy theories, can help sow the seeds for re-examining our understanding of conspiracy theories in a more balanced and nuanced way. The nature of religious belief is elemental to understanding the epistemological foundations of the conspiracy theorizing worldview amidst what we may call conspiratorial ambiguity. Specifically, R.M. Hare's concept of blicks, which are unfalsifiable but meaningful worldviews, offers a way forward to reframe our approach towards the theory of conspiracy theories. So that blicks are unfalsifiable but meaningful worldviews. Just hold on to that, because it's going to be a while before it comes up again. And then and it's going to come up a lot. Doesn't, doesn't really, I, I don't know if that definition actually comes up during the paper. It's I think kind of, it does. It might, might briefly, but, but they, it, it, they don't commit to the definition mm. in the actual practical working through of their argument, as we are about to see. Mm. So, it begins with an introduction. How, how like them? Yeah, I don't I mean, know anything else this person's written, but I'm assuming it's characteristic. It says, ever since the Tower of Babel, and I'm cutting out a little bit of, of, of biblical text here, the links between religion and conspiracy theories have been obvious, though rarely commented upon. Although the Academy has long studied the worldview of the former, the attention of scholars on the outlook of the latter has gained momentum only recently. Further still, the comparisons and contrasts between religion and conspiracy theorists are only just beginning to emerge, and then cites Keeley Barkin, Robertson, Dyrendahl, and others. Ever since the Tower of Babel, a location in the world that never actually existed, the links between religion and conspiracy theories have been obvious. Well, like I said, this 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 paper, I'm ass I don't know who this person is, but I'm assuming philosophy of religion is possibly their main area because there's a lot of scripture in this paper. Mm. I might have chopped out more than I should have then. I think it made more sense. But anyway, it 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 it, it does. I want to say in this section, I, th I think actually the next section afterwards, and maybe the one after that as well, does a lot of setting out of what's come before and, and the state of things in general. So th this and this feeling this bit, it's all about the fact that academia in general has, in general, not just philosophy, has treated conspiracy theories as irrational, much now, like they've treated religion. Now, I agree with the first part. It turns out that most scholars, apart from the particulars, treat conspiracy theories as prima facie irrational or unlikely to believe. I don't think that's true with religious belief. I mean, it might be the case in philosophy that the consensus is that atheism is a more sensible belief system to have. But I don't know that's true in the wider academic world. Mm. Well, I wouldn't have a clue myself, so... Because, as someone who reads quite a lot of social science on conspiracy theories, it's actually fascinating how far social scientists, particularly social psychologists, go to avoid even mentioning, mentioning religious belief when talking about conspiracy beliefs. So they will draw attention that there are similarities between paranormal beliefs, for example, and conspiracy beliefs, and they'll draw comparisons between cultic beliefs and conspiracy beliefs, and yet no one ever really talks about religious beliefs and applies the same lens of analysis they do to conspiracy theories to religious beliefs. It's almost mm. as if people are going out of their way to go, well, religious beliefs are beliefs held by sensible centrists in our society. And many sensible people, including other social scientists, have religious beliefs. So obviously those are normal and sensible beliefs, unlike those wacky conspiracy theory beliefs, which might resemble some of those religious beliefs. But of course, we know that religious beliefs are normal and conspiracy theories are bad. Mm. Well, certainly this paper is seeking to um, to change that attitude. But I mean, right from the start, it does say that while in general conspiracy theories have been treated as irrational, not all of academia, saying, indeed, the recent spate of interest in conspiracy theories has been characterized by scholars wishing to take them seriously seriously as an area of study and a desire to judge them on their own merits, rather than an a priori dismissal of them as a class of explanation. See, for example, Dentist 2018. Well, 2018 that's your a. name. 2018 28. A. Well, you got a couple I of 2018s. I published a lot of papers in 2018. Yes, sure Joe, did. Joe Yusinski complained about it recently because he has written a paper which cites some of my work, and he's going, just tracking which papers, because you have to do 2018A, 2018B, mm. in my case, 2018D, 
Is it just tracking which citation is the right one? Painful is going, Joe, you should use a citation manager. It would make your life a lot easier. Mm. That's why I recommend Bibdesk. The citation manager, which is free for your LaTeX workflow. We're not being paid to advertise this. I'm just it doing it out of the kindness of my own heart. Ah, what a hero. So the, the introduction then goes on to basically say that work on the philosophy of religion could be applied to the philosophy of conspiracy theories, saying, as I will detail below, Popper's work on falsification and the problem of demarcation inspired debate among philosophers of religion about the nature of religious belief, most notably a celebrated symposium in 1950 where Anthony Flew, Iram Here, and Basil Mitchell offered their understanding of religious beliefs through verbs. the use of parables. Anthony Flew, Iram Here, and Basil Mitchell. Not quite, no. no. I argue that their debate, still overlooked by scholars on conspiracy theories, is elemental to understanding the epistemological foundations of the conspiracy theorizing worldview amidst what we might call conspiratorial ambiguity, with Irem Hare's approach of Blix offering a way forward to reframe our approach towards the theory of conspiracy theories. Now actually, I, I, it's, it's become, I want to say running joke, but it isn't actually funny in any way, but certainly characteristic of the fact that philosophy papers all seem to start with their definitions, and it's, and it's, it's the thing we have to go through first. This one has no definitions at all, which I think becomes a problem later once you sort of need to read between the lines a little bit to work out exactly what they mean and by like, things like conspiracy theories and exactly yes, because what they're thinking of when they're talking about clear conspiracy theories. Throughout the paper that by conspiracy theories they're either irrational but meaningful beliefs, or a-rational, but meaningful beliefs. So mm. they're denying the notion that there's any kind of meaning to a conspiracy theory. Rather, a conspiracy theory presents you with an idea of someone's worldview. And as I'm going to say later on in the discussion, I don't think they're talking about conspiracy theories at all. Mm. I think they're talking about conspiratorial mindsets or conspiracy beliefs, whilst the particulars are talking about the content of the theories and going, is it warranted to believe the theories given their you know, the propositional content within, looking at evidence, appeals to expertise and the like. Beziel is really looking at conspiratorial mindsets, which is a different kind of debate. Mm. But um, this takes us on to section two, religious and conspiracy theorist worldviews. And yes, worldview seems to be the word that comes up yeah. an awful lot in this. Um, so it says, just as followers of a religion are part of a tradition and practice, so too are conspiracy theorists participating in what Johann Byford has called a tradition of explanations, cited in Pat Stokes's 2018 paper. And it is this worldview that needs a greater understanding. And um, having gone through what they take to be the conspiracy theorist worldview, I sort of I, I've skipped through these these sections fairly quickly because, as I say, there is a lot of a lot of summary and a lot of sort of overviews and a lot of citations of papers that we've looked at before. Uh, but I had to I had to pull out one piece. We are having having um, talked about the conspiracy theorist worldview. They say I therefore take issue with MRX dentist's characterization of generalists. Oh, sorry, I should say before this, it's all one of the things referred to as uh, the the Bunting and Taylor paper introducing the guide concept of generalists and particularists. It says I therefore take issue with MRX dentist's characterization of generalists as viewing conspiracy theories as typically irrational. Again, paper 2018. A, with particularists willing to judge specific conspiracies as rational depending on the evidence. Rather, drawing on the rich literature and the philosophy of religion, I concur with Malcolm that the obsessive concern with the proofs reveal the assumption that in order for religious belief to be intellectually respectable, it ought to have a rational justification. That is the misunderstanding. It is like the idea that we're not justified in relying on memory until memory has been proven reliable. I'm not sure who Malcolm is in this. Like, well, he, was, like, he, he was in the middle, Joshua. He ah, was in right. the middle. Yeah. And also in Jurassic Park. Quite clever. Really? Mm. Wow. Mm. So, uh, now, this actually does point towards a big debate that's gone on in the philosophy of religion. Because you get people, say, like Kant, who is of the opinion that you need to give a rational basis for religious belief. So it goes for an a priori notion of, you know, we can show that the principle of charity as ascribed to the works of Jesus Christ is actually a kind of log logical axiom that ends up being the kind of golden rule, etc., etc. And then there's been a movement in the 20th century, and I guess moving into the 21st century to go towards a more mystical understanding of religious belief by going this, the seeking of rational basises for religious belief kind of ignores the special character of religious belief. So I'm not 
necessarily against the idea of exploring these, we might say, different standpoints on exactly where religious belief stands. But it is interesting that they are going with the notion of, you know, there's something either irrational but meaningful or irrational but meaningful to religious belief. And thus, if there's a comparison between religious belief and conspiracy beliefs, not conspiracy theories here, but conspiracy beliefs, then it might be the case that conspiracy beliefs are of a similar irrational or irrational belief, which is still meaningful. And I don't think they do enough to actually make that claim, mm. that the similarities are so close that the lesson we learn from one must apply to the other, because the debate in the philosophy of religion is still going on as to whether we need a rational basis for belief, for, for religious belief or not. So mm. you might end up going, well, the similarities are important, but it also might be the case you still need a rational basis for those beliefs. Yes, so it refers to conspiracy theories uh, as as groundless or or irrational. Well, well no, ground, the groundless yeah, the groundless isn't necessarily the same as irrational. theorizing worldviews, mm. not conspiracy theories. Sorry, yes, you're right. Yeah, the world, theory, we're yeah, still talking worldviews. They say, uh, say the groundlessness of the conspiracy theorizing worldview means that as an epistemological reading of society, it requires no rational justification. Indeed, framing the debate in this rational versus non-rational context misses the essence of what conspiracy theories are and why people hold them, although, again, haven't specifically defined what conspiracy theories are. Although individual conspiracy theories may well be assessed on their particular merits, conspiracy theories as a general disposition or worldview should be understood as a different category. And I don't necessarily disagree with that last sentence as long as it reads, although individual conspiracy theories may well be assessed on their particular merits, conspiracy beliefs as a general disposition or set of worldviews should be understood as a different category. Because I'm not against the idea of saying, look, there are certain people with conspiracy mindsets or conspiracy beliefs that make them see conspiracy theories, or sorry, the existence of conspiracies where maybe conspiracies don't exist. And we can do analyses into what's causing that, whether it's a psychological issue, whether it's a bad set of priors, blah, 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 blah. But they're not making that right distinction there. They're not distinguishing between conspiracy theories with propositional content and conspiracy beliefs as kind of mindsets or worldviews. They're saying, oh, we should treat conspiracy theories as a worldview, but that's not what the debate between generalists and particularists mm. is about. Yes, so it goes on to to um, flesh out the this idea of a conspiracy theorizing worldview uh, appeals to to uh, Bar is it Michael Barkin? Uh, it's either Michel or, Ma or Michael Barkin. Uh, appeals to Barkin to claim that the conspiracy theorizing worldview involves three key fe three key features: the belief that nothing happens by accident, that nothing is as it seems, and that everything is connected and goes on to say it's a truism that Barkin's three-part definition is typical of the monotheistic religious mindset. At Ooh. which point I say no, because I don't think that monotheists are of the belief that nothing happens by accident. There are lots of monotheists who go, look, some things are under the guiding hand of God, and some things are not. And this makes me think of John Bishop, our old philosophy of religion lecturer, and he used to have this big thing about how Almost all of the philosophy of religion literature, which deals with proofs for the existence of God, concern omni-God, so your all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving God, the omni-characteristics of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnibenevolence. Mm -hmm. And he points out that actually most theists don't believe in omni-God. If you actually ask people about what they think God is, they do not describe omni-god, they tend to have at least one or two of the omni-features, but not all three. Or if they do hold all three, you can prod them, and they'll be willing to give up on, say, one of them. And usually they give up on omniscience, the idea that God can't know everything because it makes free will kind of illusory. And I think they're doing the same. he's doing the same thing here. Mm -hmm. He's going, oh, you know, Monotheistic belief has these particular characteristics. Okay, so, yeah, but most monotheists are going to disagree with you there mm. because 
most monotheists will say mm. that some things do happen by accident. Mm. Now, this this is the one of the points where there's um, a whole bunch of scripture. I, so I think, many Bible verses. I think this is the bit that actually quotes from the Bible and the Quran and something else. I think it's sort of trying to be a bit more broad in its discussion of ecumenical. I believe is the term, Joshua. It is an ecumenical. ecumenical. But essentially, a lot of this paper, a lot of the section is based around the idea that we, we was trying to show that conspiracy beliefs are like religious beliefs in significant ways. Um, and it was sort of, as I was getting to this part, it, it was when it started to occur to me that we haven't, hasn't specifically said what, how they're defining a conspiracy theory. And by talking about the groundlessness, it, it, it certainly seems like, they're, it very much seems like they're not using the sort of definition that, say, you would use. The, the, the idea of a conspiracy theory is simply any theory that cites a conspiracy as a salient cause. Because I don't see, you know, as, as we would often say, even the official version of 9-11 is a conspiracy theory. But according to what they're talking about, that, that doesn't seem like something that would qualify. It certainly doesn't think that has the qualities that they've discussed so far when talking about conspiracy theories. And indeed, it seems that what they're talking about here is Popper's conspiracy theory of society. Because Popper's yes, conspiracy Popper does get yeah. cited a yeah. fair bit here. Because Popper, with his conspiracy theory of society, is the idea that there are some people out there who believe that conspiracies are behind everything. And, as Charles Picton argues in the very first paper we ever covered in the series. Yep. Popper revisited, or what is wrong with conspiracy theories, question mark. He points out that Popper's arguing against a misrepresentation of what people actually believe. Conspiracy theorists do not believe that everything is the result of conspiracies in the background. What they believe is that there's at least one conspiracy which is a salient cause of the event they are concerned with. Mm. Whereas... When this paper talks about conspiracy theories, it's often, it, it, it's, it's again talking about this mindset, this worldview, and the idea that people adopt conspiracy theories for psychological reasons because they, they agree with the, the, the way they think the world works or have you. Certainly doesn't talk in any way about evidence about people who might believe that a conspiracy theory is true because they believe the evidence points towards it or something like that. It does point out uh, one, one difference between conspiracy beliefs and religious beliefs, saying, Yet a key difference in how we perceive beliefs in religion and conspiracy theories has been a mere accident of history, whereas religious beliefs and culture, whether centred on God or Satan, have been at the front and centre of human existence since time immemorial, the conspiracy theorising worldview has been pushed to the margins of society and simply not taken seriously. Which sounds fair. Yeah, it is, it is yeah. I mean, that's my, that's my complaint about yeah. the social science work, which hints at the similarities between religious belief and conspiracy belief, and then goes, well, you know, religious beliefs are normal, so we're not going to interrogate those. But conspiracy belief, oh, so weird. So, so weird to believe mm. that people might be scheming behind your back. Who would even countenance that thought? Yes. God would. Well, obviously, but apart from that. No, but it, it, it goes on to talk more about how conspiracy theorists work and, and, and continues to make me suspicious about the kind of definition that they're using when it says things like, I, I'm saying it referring to the paper, not not the author as an, as, as an object. Maybe I should say they. They say, just like followers of religion seeking to make sense of divine mysteries, David G. Robertson, 2017, points out... Good friend of mine. Totally good points out that conspiracy theorists have a propensity to draw on a broader range of epistemic sources than is accepted by epistemic authorities, including channeled information, intuition, tradition, and, despite etic claims to the contrary, scientific reason, as well as giving undue weight to individual testimony and linking small pieces of circumstantial evidence across time, space, and context. Yes, I, the, the, I, there are lots of conspiracy theories I can think of that don't involve channeled information or intuition, although a fair few that are. Yeah, I mean, for example, David Icke has a lot of channeled mm. information in his conspiracy theories. So, I mean, David's point is, is right. There are some conspiracy theorists out there who are relying on evidence that's not typically accepted as normal by, I've put in scare quotes here, and the video viewers can see this, mm. ordinary epistemic a epistemic agents. And of course, there's a big debate in the standpoint of epistemology about exactly how we work out who an ordinary epistemic agent is, which is normally 
a white man, probably about 40 years old. And jo Josh, you're an ordinary epistemic agent. Hell Congratulations. But yeah, as he points out, there are lots and lots of examples of cases where people use different types of evidence. David Icke famously believes that synchronicity is shows that a belief is justified and true. If he if he has an idea and then he finds that idea in a book, TV program, or a movie within some amount of time of having that idea, and there's some degree of similarity, then the idea must be true. Mm. However, you just used the word some. I did. Which Actually, is that's not, not what they said. Not included no. in here. You said no. some conspiracy theorists, whereas this one just says conspiracy theorists as a category, which again is make, make, makes the whole. I mean, they've got the weasel word of have a propensity. So mm. they can say, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of them do. Mm. Anyway, it goes on to talk about a fair bit about Popper and, and, and a falsification and that sort of stuff, and then talks about Keeley's response. And, and his, was this his first paper we looked at or his second? Yeah, okay. yeah so of, the first one. of conspiracy theorists. Um, um, and, and the response to the, the, the claim that conspiracy theories are unfalsifiable, and uh, which, as we've seen before, and, and, and Brian sort of pointed pointed out that it's not unfalsifiability isn't as much a problem for conspiracy theories as it is for, say, scientific theories, because part of a conspiracy theory is the idea that the people behind it will be actively trying to mm. stop you from yeah. finding out about yeah. it, um, which is not the case in other other areas. I mean, I do feel they do Brian a bit dirty is, here. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they kind of make him appear to be the all conspiracy theories are unwarranted guy mm. when he's not. It's mature conspiracy theories are unwarranted for the reasons of there is enough reason to believe, enough evidence to believe them at a given time. Yeah, the, the, the bits of... Brian that are quoted seemed a little bit a little bit non-representative of the paper as a whole and sort of took some bits that seemed to be kind of out of context where yeah Brian would sort of it made it sound like Brian was saying yes conspiracy theories are all unfalsifiable but that's okay whereas he was just his, his point was a bit more more focused than that and so this section ends, finishes up by saying, by revisiting the conspiracy theorizing worldview, world view. World view, this study seeks to reframe our understanding of conspiracies, conspiracies as a competing blick that makes sense of the word in contest with other blicks, still having not really defined the word blick in the main body of the paper, unless I missed it. No, no. Uh, and indeed, the next section, the explorers, the garden, and the celestial city, is going to get us closer the blicks, mm. but not quite. Not quite. Yeah. Not quite. Uh, section three, I kind of skipped over quite quickly. A lot of parables. A lot of yeah. parables in this section. Uh, it starts with Anthony Flew's Gardener parable, which, um, if you've if you've looked into um, philosophy of religion before, you've possibly come across the idea, the, the invisible gardener, the idea that two people come upon um, a section of ground and one person claims it's obviously tented by a gardener. And the other person says, "Well, where are they?" And he says, "Oh, he's an invisible gardener, who's but invisible and inaudible, and and you can never see them actually doing anything or any any actual effect." It gets to the point where the other person says, "Well, hang on, what's the difference between uh, an invisible, inaudible, intangible, completely undetectable gardener?" And no gardener at all, which was meant to be an you know, analogy with religion. So when people say, "Well, you're God, we can't see God or or or, or observe direct feel, touch, or smell God." So so what's the difference between that and there being no God at all? And that's that's a, you know inspired a bunch of debate in the area of religion. I can't remember, was Flew a theist or an atheist? Ah, it's been remember. too long. Yeah, it has been too long as I well. Remember. I remember studying this in my MA, mm. but my MA also was when I was at university, when Bear was cheap. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. Sure it was. Now, it is interesting that if we're using this as now an analogy for conspiracy theorists, that we know conspiracies have occurred. Yeah. I mean, you might go, well, they're not occurring now, but we have know they have occurred. Whilst the whole problem with the Gardener par par parable is that we've got no evidence for intangible gardeners, which is why you end up going, well, you know, what's the difference between an intangible gardener and there being no gardener, i.e. I'm talking about God, 
whilst in the conspiracy case, case of, you know, I mean, this could be the result of a conspiracy. Oh, but conspirators don't exist. No one believes that. People mm. know conspiracies, knows conspiracies have existed. Have happened. You might try and frame an argument saying, but conspiracies don't go on now. But you still have the historical precedent of saying there have been conspirators in the past. So there's an important disanalogy between the intangible gardener and the conspiracy conspirator that you suspect is behind some result. Mm. And so it goes on, it, it, it doesn't seem sympathetic to Flew's particular peril. There's another, the peril of the celestial city, which involves two travellers walking along a road, one of which whom thinks it leads to this celestial city and the other whom thinks it leads nowhere, but it's the only road, the, the only road that they can be walking down and, and, and the, the expectations for what's around the corner, despite the fact that they're both doing exactly the same thing. But um, the point is, it, it all finishes up by saying, we may move away from... Actually, Josh, can I just um, put a correction here? What they should have said was, we may fly away from Flew's conclusions. They really missed a trick They could there. have. Yeah. Oh, well. But instead, they say, we may move away from Flew's conclusions and suggest that so too history has shown us that events are conspiratorial, conspiratorially ambiguous. This is not only to say that history is interpreted in different ways from a variety of worldviews and perspectives, but that we should concede that sometimes one may never really find out what the truth is. As Hick himself described religious truths as beyond human capability to see it as it fully is, so too does Ferguson, 2017, himself a critic of conspiracy theories, concede that historians studying secret networks and conspiracies struggle with the problem that networks really maintain readily accessible archives, and so the gatekeepers of truth may well hamper our ability to get to the truth. In both matters of religion and conspiracy, therefore, we can see an epistemic distance, as Hick, 27, 2007, calls it, that separates us from the truth we are seeking. Which, again, in the present day, if you're talking about something where conspiracy may be behind it or may not, then yes, we might not know. And there, there are historical events that may have been the result of a conspiracy or may have been chance or cock-up or what have you, or may not, and maybe we'll never know. But there are events that we know for damn sure were caused by conspiracy theories as Which well. Which is why we have to assume the operating definition of a conspiracy theory is it's not true. Mm. Or at, at least, least it's, it's not it's accepted. not evident yeah. or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, and finishes up by saying, Thus, when Popper and others dismiss conspiracy theorists as irrational, it may be said that they fail to realise that conspiracy theories do not share the grammar of positivists in the way that the latter talk about matters of fact. As Wittgenstein put it, they play a different language game, which philosophers would do well to examine from within the context from which they derive their meaning. It is in this spirit that we move on to his own, that we may move on to his own parable of the lunatic, where he coins the term blick, which I argue captures the essence of the conspiracy theorising world view. Well, Worldview. 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 I hiccuped when I said it. That's the effect it had on me. So that takes us to section four. Now, like I say, the word blick has only come up just a couple of times so far in, in the first three sections out of five. In this section, it comes up a lot. It seems like every second word is blick. This section has so many blicks, it should call itself Hans. But a Bit of, bit of UN weapon inspector humour there for you. But I know, I know our audience likes a reference to a UN weapon inspector, inspector for the early 2000s. You can invade my that's Iraq, what they baby. You can invade my Iraq. Yes. And so it talks about... It gets into the idea of blicks and the idea... Yeah, and this is have, where the definition comes up again. That different people can see the world differently, essentially. The, the lunatic they talk about is a person who you know, appears to have a, a worldview completely different to everyone else's, but completely compelling and consistent to, the, to them. Just like Don, Don, Donald J. Trump, who we'll be talking Quite about bit. in yeah. the patron Quite bonus episode, because like he's, got, he's got a worldview, and that mm. worldview is really quite interesting this week. It certainly is. But so at this point it says, so these differing worldviews of the protagonists are blicks, meaningful if unfalsifiable beliefs about the world around us. They are the mental spectacles, to borrow Charles Dickens' phrase in The Old Curiosity Shop, through which we view the world around us, framing what we see and how to interpret the phenomena we witness. Such blicks are therefore prescriptive in nature, as the holder minds very much about what goes on in the garden in which I find myself, cited in Pecorino 2001, impacting one's view on the reliability of the gatekeepers of knowledge and the evidence they produce. Now, this is where I start to go, don't quite understand Blix, because no. they're 
meaningful if unfalsifiable beliefs about the world. But they're also prescriptive in nature. They impact one's view on the reliability of the gatekeepers of knowledge, which means that they, they sound meaningful, but also they sound like they should be falsifiable because they, they weigh on evidence. Mm. And if they weigh on evidence, surely they, that means counterweights they, might also affect your worldview. Yeah. Do they weigh on evidence or do they weigh on what you will accept as evidence or what you'll accept as reliable evidence? I mean, I'm maybe, sure. but, but I'm it, just never entirely sure what blicks are according to the account in this paper. Yes, what well it says, crucially, as here goes on to observe, one cannot counter a blick, an unfalsifiable belief about the world, with facts or evidence. And, it, and yet they still weigh on your appreciation of facts mm. and evidence. I know, it, the impression I got was basically the meme, of the, the Big Lebowski meme of the, yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. That kind of felt to me like we, what you were getting at with Blix. It's like, yeah, you believe this and I believe that, and we can't change either of our minds about that. It's just, just the way it is, man. Yeah, and this is my problem with the way that they go through this view, which is they're talking about conspiracy theories, which are theories with propositional content, when actually what they're talking about are conspiracy mindsets or worldviews. So they're assuming conspiracism. The notion of there being a conspiracy mindset is a kind of default view which informs all conspiracy theories. Whilst you in, in what you should be doing, at least in my educated opinion, is going, well, look, there are conspiracy theories and there are some people with conspiracy mindsets. And we can talk about the conspiracy mindset people, the people with those conspiracy beliefs, and we can separate that from is a particular conspiracy theory warranted or unwarranted? Because there's a huge debate going on there as to, you know, once again, if official theories actually count as conspiracy theories, depending on what your view of conspiracy theory as a concept is. And that's going to be separate from the debate about conspiracy mindsets or conspiracy beliefs. Mm. So the paper, meanwhile, goes on to say... Blicks frame how we see the world, and without a blick there can be no explanation, for it is by our blicks that we decide what is and what is not an explanation. This is true whether we have a blick that God exists or does not exist, or indeed if we have a conspiracy theorizing worldview or not. And then goes on to a bit of discussion about uh, between David Cody and Brian Keeley about how it's difficult to distinguish between warranted and unwarranted. Yeah, there's a whole theories. debate about the demarcation mm. problem with working out whether a conspiracy theory is good or bad, because as Brian says, there's no mark of the incredible that tells you upon first glance whether a conspiracy theory is warranted or unwarranted. You need to actually look at the evidence. So when David and Brian are talking about the difficulty of the label conspiracy theory and the fact that people apply an analysis of conspiracy theory before investigation of whether the theory is you know, warranted or unwarranted, there's a worldview thing that's going on there, which is that people have a worldview as to whether they think the things labelled as conspiracy theories are good or bad. But they're still having a discussion about the demarcation problem of once you start analyzing conspiracy theories themselves, it's difficult to do without doing an actual analysis of the individual parts. Mm. At this point in the paper, it started getting into Wittgenstein, and I had to tap out, to be honest. It was getting a little bit... I think I was suffering from blick poisoning at this at this stage. I'd been... I'd, be, I'd overdosed I mean, on the blicks. I quite pale. Mm. Well, quite I, pale. I always do, but yes. So uh, th th this, this section kind of lost me a little bit. I'm trying to remember, when, when we point. did conspiracy theory, truth or language game, that had a lot of Wittgenstein in it. And you seemed to have more stomach for Wittgenstein no. back when we looked at that paper. I don't remember that. Maybe I... I, I, I think mean, you I might be suffering from a kind of... Over it amnesia due to too much Wittgenstein. That's, that, that could well be it. The paper, though, does say... 
Although we may not go so far to suggest that conspiracies regulate all in the conspiracy theorist's life, as religion does for the believer, nevertheless the conspiracy theorizing worldview creates a different, quote, form of life, and serves a real function for him whether in terms of his politics, relationships, and approach to authority. A person's blick shapes his interpretation of the world and the events occurring within it. For a paper published in 2018, why, why that pronoun? Uh, I don't know. Gotta pick one. Well, you don't, you can alternate, but anyway. And basically, it, 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 the, the, the section sort of suggests that there's nothing we can do to distinguish between good and bad worldviews, but does say that blicks are not invitations to stop thinking, rather they sharpen our thoughts and help us recognise the paradigm in which we think. And that's the other thing which I, I find interesting about the blick thing, because it's obviously a self-reflective state. You're not just in a blick. You're aware. You well, at least you can mm. be aware. Yes. you're in a blick. Mm. So yes, I don't know. After saying the word blick more times than I think a person should, uh, we get to the final section, which is which. Which now I, I I complain when people call the first section introduction and what have you, but this one, this final section, is not called conclusion. It's called reflections, which so is a very religious way of doing it. It is, but also good on them for a bit of for, for spicing things up a bit, giving us a bit of variety in the papers we look at. I approve. And the reflectory period for this paper is five. Good, but it was refractory. Yes, um, it is. Okay, you're, you're making a hilarious pun or play on words. I'm, I'm so funny, I'm just hilarious. Yes. So, uh, the Reflections section says, Whether one believes that conspiracy theories are a result of crippled epistemologies, quoting Sunstein and Vermeule, did they actually pass a law that every paper about the philosophy of conspiracy theories has to talk about Sunstein and Vermeule? Oh, I think, I think if you're a generalist, you have to cite them. Right. And bad thinking, Kassam, 2015. Uh, or, quite the reverse, that it is intellectually vicious not to be a conspiracy theorist. That's Charles Pigden. in 2017. Such a debate is played out on the wrong plane as it misses the underlying blick or foundational knowledge which shapes a person's worldview surrounding conspiracies, whether as theoriser or sceptic. To be sure, Pigden's ecumenical understanding of conspiracy theories that there is nothing inherently suspect about conspiracy theories as such, Pigden 2017, is more helpful in showing the bankruptcy of a principled scepticism about conspiracy theories per se, Pigden again. Nevertheless, even he is locked into the secondary particularist debate over whether conspiracy theories are a result of epistemic vice or virtue, concluding that the virtuous policy is to proportion belief to the evidence. And that's because they're not recognising that Charles is not talking about worldviews. No. Charles is talking about particular conspiracy theories. Mm. So it, it, and it finishes up by saying, To understand religious and conspiratorial worldviews, therefore, we must discuss them at the level of our blicks, our intuitions, rather than focus on whether conspiracy theorisers are bad thinkers or not. As Hate 2012 concludes, intuitions come first, strategic reasoning second. That is why debates between sceptics and believers about the veracity of conspiracies or religious beliefs are merely so much labour and effort lost, in the words of Kant. Whether you take part in such a discussion or witness it being played out on Twitter or among friends, it is clear that reasons are the tail wagged by the intuitive dog. Intuitive dog? Yes. And finally finishes up uh, at the end by saying, In this vein, the very term blick is a catch-all and neutral neologism that captures people's unfalsifiable but meaningful beliefs, meets Cody's challenge to come up with a single expression to cover the differing approaches towards conspiracy theories, irrational or not. This will not only help depoliticize the debate, but also shift the focus towards understanding the differing worldviews surrounding conspiracy theories. Worldviews. And the thing is, I don't necessarily disagree with aspects of the conclusion. I think it's useful to talk about worldviews mm. because I think there are some people who are prone to conspiracy beliefs because they have a worldview where they see conspiracies where conspiracies are not. In the same respect, I think there are some people, and these are going to be in terms of blicks, who claim not to see conspiracies where they ought to be seeing them. So, mm. for example, the kind of people like Christopher Hitchens, who was really, really adamant, despite the evidence, that the American government the U and the UK government had a legitimate reason for the invasion of Iraq due to those weapons of mass destruction. He could not see the conspiracy 
in front of his eyes. So it cuts both ways. Mm. And so I think there is something to be said about making a demarcation between talking about the warrant of conspiracy theories and talking about conspiracy beliefs and being really clear when we're talking about worldviews versus establishing the warrant of particular theories. I think that's a project which we ought to have discussions about. I just think they're conflating them. Mm. Yeah, like, I don't know, the, the tone I got from most of the paper was that it was kind of saying conspiracy theories are like religious beliefs and people, philosophers, religion, other religious people have put a lot of effort into, into justifying and making religious beliefs acceptable, epistemologically kosher, if there is such a thing. And so, we, we, so that means we could, if, if they are the same, then we could use those religious ones uh, on conspiracy theories, um, all of which assumes you think positively of religious beliefs. I think to, to, to an atheist, arguments saying that religious beliefs are actually good uh, are not convincing and therefore would be no more convincing if you were applying similar things to conspiracy theories. And yeah, I mean, it, do, it doesn't, like you say, it's, it's all about, it seems, claims to be talking about conspiracy theories, but is really only talking about worldviews. And so it, it misses out facts like, consp like no, it, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't deny that conspiracy theories have occurred because it talks about, it mentions Watergate in the paper, it mentions Iran-Contra, but it never really addresses the fact that there are conspiracies that can be true, have been proven true by evidence and that it's possible to prove a conspiracy theory true by appealing to evidence. I mean, maybe they'd say, you know, certain people's blicks are such that they're never going to accept certain things or what have you, but taking a particularist viewpoint, that's kind of okay anyway. You mm. don't have to have a universal view on whether conspiracy theories are all irrational or Yeah, or you just irrational. need to say, look, <clears throat> if you're given evidence for a conspiracy theory and you've got no pre-existing reason to think the conspiracy theory is bad, you need to investigate it. Mm. But maybe that's just your blick. Maybe it's, maybe it's our blick. That's the, that's the cat's blick right yeah. there. The, the, the rattling you're hearing there is the cat who's just wandered off, mm. wandered in from the bedroom. Just decided to start shaking its bell. It was just causing as much issue maybe as that's, possible. Maybe that's what we need. I mean, because we're at the end of the paper. Maybe we need to have your cat to come in and announce, announce the end of the podcast proper by ringing its bell. Yep, that, that sounds official to me. So it must be the end of the episode. So yeah, it's a, 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 a different paper, I guess. Different, different from what I'm used to reading in this series, I guess. Didn't find it super convincing, but yes, had some interesting ideas. Says yeah. the word Blick a lot. Yeah, as I say, talking about conspiracy beliefs versus conspiracy theories and talking about that distinction, useful. Doesn't quite do it. At the same time, it's... Interesting. I'm not saying interesting good. I'm just saying it's interesting. Mm. So that is all for this episode. Uh, we, of course, have to go off and record a bonus episode that only our patrons, only those chosen few, those Well, those except titans... I have to point out that last week you actually made the patron episode on Podbean public. <laughs> and then Philip got in contact to say, uh, I meant to see that, so I logged back in and I made it patron mm. only. I thought I checked that. Oh well, there we go. So sometimes, sometimes and, if you're lucky, and, and if you're lucky, this I've done. I've done the same. Mm. I've uploaded an episode. The, the trick is, if you click patron before the upload is finished, sometimes it clicks back when the upload is finished to ah, free. That's what so it did. We always wait for the upload to finish because mm. I've done it. Multiple I times. I shall have to double check. That's how Drew got to listen to so many patron bonus episodes in the past. But now, now he pays us the good money mm. for the piss poor content. And what piss poor content do we have for you this week? We're going well, to talk about I mean, Trump. We've got the master of the piss tapes himself, mm. Donald Trump. Uh, we've got a film update where yeah. a film character turns out to be an agent for the KGB. We've got bombs disguised as USB sticks in Ecuador. Uh, Alex Jones apparently has been squirreling, squirreling away money for a rainy day. An actual conspiracy about contrails, not chemtrails. Mm -hmm. 
The ICC has an arrest warrant out for Putin. They do, actually. And mm. possibly the best paragraph I've read in The Guardian of recent note about Stephen Seagal. Well, that's, that's a high bar to pass. Indeed. So if you'd like to hear us talking about all of that in depth, uh, and assuming that we don't cock up the settings this week when we upload the patron episode, you'll need to be a patron if you want to hear it. Uh, if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and you can just sign yourself up. Simple as that. It is. We yeah, never give I... our contacts anymore. You can actually email the podcast at podcast... Con no. Podcast... What's it going to do? Isn't it in the actual outro? Oh, maybe it is. Maybe I should yeah. just shut my mouth. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's podcastconspiracy.com. But in the at early days of the podcast, and actually that's a long yeah, time a long ago, time ago. Uh, we had two email addresses and we always gave out the wrong one. Because mm. one of them we weren't checking and the other one we were, but we always gave the wrong one. And that's why we ended up putting it in the outro so that we never get confused about the email ever again. I'm still confused. We also gave out Twitter stuff, but you're not on Twitter anymore. I'm not. I still am, uh, because that appears to be where the majority of people still are. But, Do you know um, that on Twitter, anti-Semitism has gone up by 100% ever since Trump took, took charge? Not Trump. Musk. Musk. Sure has. I mean, he's the Trump of Twitter. He is the Trump of Twitter. There's no doubt about that. Anyway, uh, Monkey Fluids is my name. On Twitter. And Monkey Fluids <laughs> is his game. Uh, if you need Monkey Fluids, Josh has gallons of them just sitting in his garage, going off and it how. needs to be sold. It needs to be sold now. Anna is so annoyed by the amount of Monkey Fluids you just store in that garage. Well, she's just And after the flooding, it. it's now flood damaged mm. Monkey Fluids, which That's, some people say argues the best yeah, kind. actually makes yeah. it better. It's, yeah. it's got a more interesting kind mm. of punches mm. to it. Yeah. Uh, also, Monkey Fluids is my uh, name on YouTube. Well, see, if you I go say, to that Monkey channel, Fluids is also my father's mm. name. Uh, if, if you if you to look on the Monkey Fluids YouTube channel, you might, might, maybe, but no promises, see this episode up as a video. So you could watch... And if you do, if the video is up, the cat does make an appearance. It does. So yes, you can see the cat. You can watch our, our, our fleshy mouth holes... Deliver the words. I prefer the time term with orifice. The, yep, yep. You can actually see our orifices in action if, yep. if that's, if All that's three the of kind them. of thing you want. Yep. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Um, so thank you for listening, patron or not, but thank you extra to the patrons. We'll see you next week, probably. Goodbye. One of the lights has just gone out, so we know the episode has to come to an end. Co to an end? Yes. Co to an end. Co end. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denton. Our show's cons- Sorry. Producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, keep watching the skis.